I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I came into recovery for drug and alcohol abuse, addiction. I, I struggle with fear. And I struggle with anger and, and anxiety. My name is Ollie. I'm glad to be here. I'm going to start that so I don't talk forever. I have, I want to tell you a quick story about, I'll let, I'll let you decide what it's about. A man I had the occasion to know um, told me this story, and it's a true story insofar as he, uh, as he uh, contended that it was. So he was married straight out of high school, married for about 10 years. He was an alcoholic. He was already a heavy drinker when they got married. Um, his drinking progressed like it always does. And eventually, um, I think after 10 or 12 years, uh, she finally had enough and, and divorced him. Well, fast forward 15 years later, he's uh, sober and he's trying to stay that way. And he's, uh, he's going through a 12-step program and he's come to the part about amends. And he decided with his sponsor the best way to contact his ex-wife to try to make amends was through writing a letter, which was, this was back in the probably the mid-80s uh, when this happened. He told me the story in the mid-90s. So he writes her a letter, hey, I, you know, I, I just want to apologize for you know, all the trouble and anxiety and stress and hurt that my drinking caused. I want to apologize. I know it was wrong. And I want you to tell me if there's anything I can do to attempt to make amends for you. So he sent it, and she wrote back. And in her letter, his ex-wife said, Bobby, because that's his name, said, Bobby, uh, thank you for your letter. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. I hear that you're doing well financially um, also, which he was. And she said, as a matter of fact, there, is, there are a couple of things you can do for me. She said, the first thing you can do is you can write me a check for $25,000 because I figure that that's just a fraction of how much of our money you've squandered and wasted on, on alcohol and all the activities that come with being a drunk. She said, after that, after you've written the check, after you put it in an envelope and have addressed it to me and put it in the mail, I want you to go into your kitchen and I want you to put one of your hands in your garbage disposal and I want you to use the other hand to turn it on and I want you to see how long you can leave that hand in there so that you might at long last have some idea of what it felt like to be married to an alcoholic. Sincerely, da-da-da-da-da. Forgiveness. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Let's pray together. Let's open this with the prayer. Um, I want us to pray together the Lord's Prayer, the old school King James Version we learned when we were kids, um, with uh, for thine is the kingdom at the end and everything. You ready? Let's pray. Amen. Amen. Full version of that is in the Gospel of Matthew. It's in chapter 6. Um, does anyone know what the next two verses are that Jesus says? Well, it so happens that I, I have them here, so I won't, I won't leave you in suspense. The very next thing Jesus says after that prayer is he says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That's Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Jesus could have reiterated or reemphasized or repeated absolutely anything in that prayer. It's the greatest prayer ever, ever prayed, obviously. It's teaching his disciples how to pray with it. And what he chose to emphasize was forgiveness and to do so with a very striking statement. Those of you who were here a few weeks ago got to hear Pastor Hess preach a wonderful sermon about forgiveness. It was called uh, Be a Forgiver, I believe was, was, was what the gist of it, was what the title was. And in that, he referenced uh, the parable 
of the unforgiving servant, or sometimes called the parable of the unmerciful servant. That's from Matthew, also from Matthew chapter 18. And in that parable, if you remember, if you were here, uh, it tells the story of a master who, uh, in the, because of compassion, forgave a massive debt for one of his servants. And then he later hears that that same servant is not, not uh, practicing what he received. He, uh, he's going out to people who owe him money, and he's being ruthless to them. In, in fact, it says that, that he choked one servant who owed him a very small amount of money and, and had him in prison. So the master finds out. The master is outraged, he's enraged, and he takes that servant that he forgave that huge amount of money to and puts him in prison to be tortured for his debt. And Jesus ends that story with this statement. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, talking about being imprisoned and tortured, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's Matthew 18, 35. Again, we have Jesus making a very striking statement about forgiveness. And Pastor has pointed this out that these statements seem to kind of rub up against our idea of salvation being um, completely dependent upon us, asking Jesus into our heart and being our Lord and Savior and believing that He died and rose from the dead and, and, and died for our sins. But whatever the theological implications, because that's, that's a whole other, other discussion, one thing is clear Jesus wants forgiveness to be important to us. Jesus is telling us clearly. That forgiveness is essential. We are commanded throughout Scripture uh, to accept the forgiveness from God accomplished by Jesus through his work on the cross. And then we are also commanded to use that same forgiveness, to show that same forgiveness to other people. It's in the prayer, people. It's forgive us our trespasses, Lord, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It doesn't say as we forgive those who trespass against us, as long as they receive justice. It doesn't say, as we forgive those who trespass against us, as long as they apologize. And it doesn't say, as we forgive those who trespass against us, as long as they straighten up and, and fly right. It just doesn't say that. If we want to ask God for his forgiveness, uh, we are called to show that same grace, that same mercy, and that same true forgiveness to others. I want to share something else that that happened to me uh, while I was preparing for this lesson. So just before the story of the unmerciful servant are the lines, and Hess discussed this too in his sermon. The, it's a brief interaction between Peter and Jesus when Peter says, probably sarcastically, I only see Peter now in the, uh, the, the chosen actor guy being challenging and, and, and sarcastic. So everything I read with Peter, I'm like, I bet he was saying that sarcastically. He says, so Jesus, how many times do I forgive someone? He says, seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Well, it turns out that in some verses, some translations of the Bible, uh, it says 77 times, not 70 times seven. So that's a wonderful rabbit hole if you're geeking out on the Bible and trying to figure, oh, I wonder why they said that. It's like the end of the Lord's Prayer. Why do some versions have, for thine is the king, the power of the Lord, for the King James Version from 1611 has that, and most of the other ones from today don't. So it's a wonderful rabbit hole. And I knew going in that it doesn't matter what number he said. The point that Jesus is making is that it's, you have to forgive someone as many times as you need to. But that doesn't stop you from going down a rabbit hole if you enjoy this kind of thing. So in the process of doing that, I came across some answers. They were really anticlimactical. They were confusing. And I'm not going to share them here. Thank you for the laugh. Lowell, I appreciate that. 
You can tell Lowell's laugh from across the street, can't you? Yeah, you're like, Lowell's here. You can tell Lowell. Here's what I found. Here's what I found that was awesome. I came across a commentary on that, and this guy was talking about it, and he said, you know, what Hess said and what I just said, that, you know, obviously Jesus' point here is that we are to forgive people as many times as is necessary. And this man said, but I would offer this question. If I'm keeping track of how many times somebody wrongs me, am I really forgiving them in the first place? I was like, oh, it's like a gut punch. And I'm talking about, listen, my scorekeeping in this can get really advanced and complicated to where it feels like forgiveness. I'll figure out a way to, to, um, to try to understand where they're coming from. And, you know, well, surely this behavior has a reason and all these things. And I'll get them all locked into this pocket, you know, in my mind. Of, of course, they, this poor soul, had no choice but to lash out at me that way. Of course I forgive them. <laughs> you know, I'm wonderful, you know. And then they'll go do something that's completely blows my whole theory up out of the water. Like, oh, my God. Gosh, just, just when I forgave you, I've done this with you seven times, and there it is. I'm keeping score. I'm just being really advanced about it, right? I'm figuring out a, some, kind of, um, some kind of coping mechanism so I can appear to all you good people like I'm a forgiving type person, but really I'm just in, in my head going, that's six. Yeah, I got you. That's six times you've lied to me that I know about. You know, I'm going to figure out some more. True forgiveness, real, uh, lasting, and complete forgiveness is extraordinarily difficult, in my opinion, to achieve. And when we try to do it on our own, I, I know for me it's, it's absolutely impossible. Listen, recovery teaches us a lot of, uh, a lot of um, uh, bases to operate from where there's a choice. There's kind of a, a, a binary choice, if you will. You know, are we operating from a, from a base of responsibility and accepting my side of the street and my part in things, or am I operating as a victim where I can't help but be angry and sad because of all these horrible things that are going on around me? Am I operating out of a, a base of, of gratitude where I'm just thankful for breathing, just thankful that, you know, just to be here and just grateful that God took time to love me and create me, or am I operating out of a base of pity, self-pity and resentment? Am I operating from a base of forgiveness, or am I operating from a base of anger, of resentment? Because resentment's not only the opposite of gratitude, um, it's, it's the opposite, or at least it's an opposite of forgiveness. Um, resentment, resentment and gratitude can't really exist at the same time, in, at least in the front of my head. I might have some deep buried resentments while I'm being grateful, but I feel like it's the same thing for forgiveness. It's difficult to be in a, situa- to be in a state of forgiveness if I'm in a state of resentment. And here's one more thought on, on forgiveness as we go on. It turns out God, when he created us and the way he created us, he knew what he was doing. It turns out that forgiveness is good for us, right? It, even though deep down, we may not really believe that always, right? Isn't it good to have a villain? Isn't it good to have someone in my life over here that is so clearly and definitely wrong 
or so clearly and definitely wronged me, it's almost comforting, right? It's, it, it is. And it's, it's that thing where it's like, you know, I screw up a lot, but man, I'm sure not like old sassafras over there, you know. Or, you know, I, I've done some rotten things in my time, but man, thank goodness I have the evil institution of blah, blah, blah to, uh, to blame when I get really upset. I tell you, I love having a villain in my life. I've got a couple right now. You know, I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'm not, not insane. But I, it's, thank you, Rod. It's, it's, uh, it's comforting in a really, really unhealthy way to have a villain in my life. True forgiveness, it releases a burden. It's just like everything else that the, that the Word of God tells us they want for us. Forgiveness, gratitude, humility, um, peace, joy. When we allow those negative things like resentment, hate, anger, you know, bitterness, jealousy, whatever word you want to put on it, it's all just that bad thing. When we allow that to get out of us, we make room in our lives for the things that the Holy Spirit promises us. Um, and we are created so that we are going to be more at peace when we allow those things to happen. I have three checkpoints about forgiveness. I, am so, I just want everyone to know I am so on time right now that I don't even know what to do with myself. I am unfortunate. Thank you. You're welcome. I have... I have three checkpoints, um, and that's all they are. They're checkpoints uh, about forgiveness. Um, three things that I can look at in my life to say, you know, maybe I'm not quite as forgiving as I need to be. Um, keep them in the front of your mind. If you're taking notes, write them down. If you're not, act like it so I'll feel better about myself because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not above that. Number one. Forgiveness affects my relationships. Are my relationships spiritually up to date? Steve Murphy talked about this with our students last week. Do I forgive quickly or do I let resentments fester? Um, do, I practice, do I have some concrete practice like journaling, like taking a little daily inventory of the night, calling my sponsor every night at the end of the night? I don't do that. Paige said, yeah, you don't. Um, something in my life that I can hold myself accountable where I can look Let's see, Billy, Jane, and Shelly. No, I know it's Shelly. Billy, Jane, and Buster. I don't know anybody named Buster. All ticked me off today. Let me go through here and see if it's something they did where I need to forgive them or if it's just me because I'm in a bad mood or hungry or whatever because that happens to me a lot. Um, If there's no process like that in your life, you can turn around and have relationships sour and fester over forgiveness. Do I forgive quickly? Number two, forgiveness greatly affects my recovery. Is my recovery rooted in transparency? Now, stay with me here. Do I have a place in my recovery life where I can share transparently, vulnerably, um, honestly, and thoroughly? Open share group leaders, this is you. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or harsh. It's effortless. No, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to come down on anyone, but if, if I can't come to a, a, an open share group and share thoroughly and share honestly, that is eventually the responsibility 
of that group leader. We have to provide a place where people can come in, and it's so simple. The way we do it is within the boundaries of the guidelines. We, as group facilitators, share thoroughly, share uh, uh, vulnerably, we share transparently. We have to be willing to talk about the things that upset us. We have to be willing to talk about our hangups and our hurts in those groups. If we give one sentence, two sentences, it's going pretty good. You know, I don't have a lot to say tonight. I'm just glad to be here. You know, Bob, you got anything? Um, that's what, as, as you go, so will your group go. It is imperative that we have a place to share completely. We are as sick as our secrets, and our recovery will reflect that. Number three, forgiveness informs my reality, right? Is my reality founded in truth? If I allow my relationships to sour, if I allow my recovery to be shallow level, take the easy way out of my recovery, eventually the reality that I walk around in will not be a reality based on the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, based on, on, on um, unconditional love, based on forgiveness. My reality will start to look like suspicion, um, cynicism, being really cynical about everything, uh, dubious about people's motives. Um, I'll start to be generally paranoid. And right about now, my, my wife, Erin, my, my friend, Rod, Paige, definitely Kelsey and, and Michelle, who I work with closely, they're all going, Ollie, did you, you, I hope you're listening to what you teach. You may have a little work to do, son. And, and, and to that, I, I would respond respectfully, hush. Um, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Now, I, I, one of the first things to leave me is a trust of people around me when I'm not in a forgiving mode, when I'm not in a loving um, gentle-hearted, generous-hearted mode, one of the first things to go with me is I start thinking everyone has an ulterior motive. It's a really good checkpoint. So we can check our relationships, we can check our recovery, and we can check around us. We can check our reality. You know, um, we can say things like, look around and just say, do I start to feel like everyone, like I feel like everyone is against me or is questioning me? Do I start to feel like nobody really likes me and they're just being nice to me because I'm supposed to? Those are lies straight from the enemy. And it's a very easy way to check on, on whether or not I'm being as forgiving as I like to think I am. And as good as those three checkpoints are, evaluating my relationships, um, my recovery and my reality, as good as they are, they're just checkpoints. They don't help me achieve true forgiveness. They just help me recognize where I'm at in my life. Um, the real answer to achieving true forgiveness is simple, and it's, it's all throughout Scripture. It's prayer. Listen, true forgiveness is a gift from God. It is a supernatural gift from God, and we have to ask for it. My wife, Erin experienced abuse from a family member over many years. She shared this with other people. She tried to understand why it was happening. She prayed for God, repeated to God repeatedly and asked him to comfort her and release her from the anguish of her just to make it stop. And God put this on her heart. First, you have to forgive that person. Second, I'm going to separate that person 
from their sin so that you can see them for who and what they are, a human being, a flawed person, a sinner in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And my wife was able to forgive that person, and she will tell you immediately it had nothing to do with her efforts. It had everything to do with her asking for that forgiveness uh, from her Lord and Savior. My sponsor, Paige, uh, has told a story about somebody that was in his life that he was going to be around, at least occasionally, unavoidably, and he just, with really, really good reason, just couldn't stand the person. Um, couldn't, didn't want to be around him, didn't want to, was always uh, having negative thoughts about him, and he was talking to his sponsor about it, his sponsor. And his sponsor said, well, are you praying for the man? And Paige said his response was something like, yeah, I'm praying for that sorry so-and-so. And his sponsor said, no, partner, no, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. You have to pray for that person to receive the same things in that person's life that you want and you pray for in your life. Paige said he started doing that. He's able to be around that person. He had, to, he had to do it over a period of time. But God, God was part of the process. Don't try to achieve forgiveness unless you include God in the process because it's not going to happen. My mother, my mother and father both passed away. My uh, father passed away t- around 20 years ago. My mother around three years ago. My father had a lot of good and bad qualities like everyone, but one of his worst qualities was he was absolutely unequivocally never faithful to my mom over 25 years of marriage. By the time they divorced after 25 years, he had that I knew about at that time, two different girlfriends in two different homes that he was at least partially financing. It is safe to say that my mother had resentments concerning that man. When he passed away in... uh, uh, he passed away in, in 2004, and sometime between then and when my mom uh, passed away in 2020, we had a discussion, and, and he came up, and she said, you know, my experience with your father and his infidelity throughout our marriage allowed me to learn firsthand for myself the true power of prayer. And it turns out that she had lamented to a priest, somebody that she trusted and had a good relationship with, that she couldn't get over her anger with this man And the priest gave her the exact same advice that my sponsor's sponsor gave him. He said, you have to pray for him. She said, I pray for him. I pray for him to change his ways. And he said, no, no, ma'am, that's that's not what I'm talking about. He told her, he said, every good experience that you have in your life, Sydney, that was my mother's name, if you have a good day with your children, you go home that day and pray to God and thank God for that good experience that you had with your children today and ask that Larry, that was my father's name, had that same experience in his life. Asked that he experienced every joyful moment, every peaceful moment, every, uh, every loving moment that you do. You remember them. And he said, he told her if it was important to her, if she really wanted to do it, that she would do that every time and that over time God would grant her forgiveness. And he did. And it was wonderful to see. I didn't know that. Until after, I just figured time healed her wound. But the last five or six years of my father's life, she was able to be around him and she was able to hope good things for him and to be happy for him when good things happen. So the question is, 
Who do you need to forgive? That's the question for tonight. Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's a person. Might be an institution. Might be an organization. You might have a resentment towards God. Sometimes we come to resent God even if we're not willing to put it in those words. Who do you have in your heart that you're not even sure if you want to forgive? And, and, and for, I can tell you that for many of us here, it's not someone that deserves it by any stretch of the imagination. We're talking about being willing to obey Jesus. We're talking about being willing to do the things that God calls us to do in his word. If we do these things, if we're willing to do these things, we will see doors opened up in our lives that we can't even imagine. We will see walls knocked down and doors opened up. But we have to be willing to do these things, even if we don't really think that we want to. The band is going to come back up, and we're going to have what we call a blue chip of surrender um, offering. If you have somebody in your life that you need to forgive, and you're thinking about deciding to try to do what you need to do to ask God to help you with that. You can come take one of these blue chips. It's just a symbol, but it can be an important symbol. Um, We'll have uh, uh, two people down here on, on each side, and the men can take chips from the men and women from women. You might have somebody in your life that you're just willing to acknowledge right now that you need to forgive. You're not ready to work on forgiving them. But you're just ready to say, you know what? Maybe I do need to forgive this person. You may have something in your recovery, something in your life that doesn't necessarily have much to do with what I talked about tonight. But if you are feeling God pull on your heart, if you're feeling God tell you, hey, it's time for you to end this, it's time for you to try something different because what you've been doing is not working, come up and get a chip. Um, We don't want an opportunity like this to pass you by. We want to be a safe place and we want to be a place of healing grace. And sometimes all it takes is a step forward. Sometimes all it takes is being very brave and coming forward and getting that symbol that you've made a decision to surrender something to God. So the band's going to play. If everyone would stand, please, it'll make make it easier for some of us to come on out. And you do as your heart as your heart leads you.